0: Welcome to QAV. This is the free edition, the trailer, the teaser edition of episode 434. Uh, Look, this week on the free episode, Tony's going to talk a lot about uh, Emiko, E-H-L, an earth-moving contractor to the mining industry. That's his pulled pork uh, for this week, or his uh, stock of the week, his drill down. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about uh, JBH's results, QBE. Um, We'll talk a little bit about uh, Copper, AMP. Uh, And then we're going to throw to an interview that we did yesterday with an impressive young fella. His name is Lockie Duncan. He's a 20-year-old creator of a website called stockmarketforteens.com who told us about how he started investing at age 15 and how he set up his website to teach teens how to invest by using the analogy of taking a road trip. So stick around for that. Um, For the QAV club members, the full episode runs for over two hours today. We answer a lot of questions uh, that our club members have had, but uh, you'll hear more about how to... Uh, Check out the club episodes and all the benefits of being a club member at the end of the free episode. If you're brand new, uh, I just want to give you a quick introduction to the podcast so you know what you're listening to. If you've listened to before, just skip ahead a minute or two. Uh, So this is a podcast where I, Cameron Riley, chat with my friend Tony Kynaston. Tony is a professional investor, very successful, been doing it for roughly 30 years Uh, His average annual compound annual growth is about 20%. 19.5% is what he actually quotes, which uh, if you're new to investing and you don't know if that's good or not good, that's around about the same uh, figure that Warren Buffett has achieved for the last 60 years. Warren Buffett, of course, being the most successful investor in the world. So Tony does a pretty good job and... uh, To achieve those returns, he's developed a system for figuring out what to invest in that he calls QAV, Quality at Value, and that's what he teaches me on this podcast, how to use his system. So uh, there's a free episode and a premium episode every week. You're listening to the free episode, which usually runs about half an hour, but this week it'll be a bit longer because of the interview. And uh, after the show, I'll tell you about uh, how to become a QAV club member. Uh, but with that, let's get into today's show. Welcome back to uh, QAV, Tony K, ciao. ciao, ciao, tutti, ciao Tony e ciao tutti. <laughs> I Come did think start. this afternoon I was going to do the entire podcast in Italian, but uh, maybe not. Well, how be you be doing hard. up you- there?
1: You need financial yeah, you know. Italian. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I got stuck. I was in the car and I was going through it on my head and then mm. I realised I didn't know how to say investing in Italian so it all sort of <laughs> fell apart there. Yeah, for well, operating <laughs> cash flow. <laughs> <laughs> how are you? How are you doing? How are you surviving Good. in, uh, in lockdown until at least, what, the end of September, Gladys, is saying now?
1: Oh, that, that'll be... <laughs> yeah, she's been saying that just a bit more, just a bit more. She thinks we're kids. <laughs> if
0: you're not already following the new QAV Twitter account, I don't know if anyone uses Twitter still. I know you don't because no. I went and had a look at your account. Uh, I don't either, really. QAV pod at QAV pod on Twitter. Just uh, go follow us there. Give us a retweet every now and again if you'd be so kind. Maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. Try and uh, do a bit of brand building. Um, well, let's get into the news of the week. We, we've got quite a few questions and we do have a guest coming on. Mm-hmm. Young Lockie Duncan uh, is coming on for a chat a little bit later. So uh, let's get into news of the week. Tony, where do you want to start? Stock of the
1: week? Uh, well, yeah, you a stock of the week is Amico Holdings. Uh, code is, I think, EHL. Yep, EHL. Uh, earth moving equipment renter or supplier, I guess, to the mining industry, uh, and uh, announced its results, and the share price plummeted. I think, <laughs> I think it went down about sixteen percent, but it's up today. So and that was mate, the day I think-
0: after I bought them. I I, <laughs> I bought them for that. my I bought them for my <laughs> super. Fi- well, at least they went down before you made them your stock of the week. Uh, I, now uh, I know I'm I X's looking so bad. <laughs> I bought them on, like, Thursday, and Friday they dropped, like, 15%, 16%. And I was like, oh, my God, what? Yeah. Um,
1: so why? What happened? Oh, well, it was their results. So right. uh, the net profit was down. Um, I read somewhere today when I was researching this it was down quite a bit, but it, I don't think it necessarily was. The numbers I read was it was down – it was down – So that's never good because the analysts always expect it to rise. Um, But Emiko's been going through a bit of a restructure over the last 12 to 18 months, recapitalisation, paying down debt, all that kind of stuff. So uh, plus uh, a lot of the equipment rental um, has been slowed down by COVID, particularly in Western Australia where it's been difficult getting fly-in, fly-out workers to get in there. Uh, so I think, uh, yeah, so this, the fleet utilisation, which is an, the amount of equipment that they rent out, uh, was down from 64%, which is kind of usual, down to about 59%. So there's been a drop-off in activity for the company. So that's why the share price dropped on results. But, you know, I think the numbers are really good. Um, and, in fact, I'm, I'm just sort of I was thinking about this today. I'm not sure when it happened, but I'm pretty sure... There was a bit of consolidation going on in this industry maybe five years ago, maybe a little bit longer, and I think Kerry Stokes, who owns Westrack, which is a big equipment seller um, to the mining industry, uh, he he ran his ruler, I think, over a Mika. I think he finished up buying a company called Boom Logistics. I'm not really sure. He bought one of these equipment rental companies anyway, and I'm testing my memory here with what he did. Uh and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see, given all the merger and acquisition activity in the market, that a company with these kinds of characteristics might get snapped up as well. Um, I, I could be wrong. It's just that's a bit of a prediction and, and who knows. But um, if you are inclined to, to buy this kind of company and bolt it on to an existing seller of equipment or, or, re, or, or a lessee of equipment, um, now's the time to do it because the restructuring has been done. Um, the numbers, even though growth isn't looking that great in the last 12 months for this company and if COVID still keeps going, it won't be looking good going forward Although they, they're calling out good growth numbers, uh, you know, it's a good time to buy it because the numbers are depressed based on that latest result. Um, but if, you, if we walk through the numbers in the pull apart, uh, they've, they've paid down a lot of debt. And that frees up capital, so they've started paying a dividend again, which is always a sign that management are confident that uh, the profits here to stay. Uh, they've they're going to do a share buyback, so that will support the share price as well. As well. Uh, but uh, they've they've also with paying down a lot of interest in the last twelve month twelve months. That's really. Um, supported net profit going forward because the interest bill is, is much, much lower. Um, so all those things have happened and I'm, and I'm going to go through the, the QAV numbers. Uh, the, the price I did this at was $1.18 this morning and that's the 23rd of August. The, uh, the company has a, a low price to operating cash flow of three times and it has an NTA, so Net Tangible Assets, so we use NEPs, Net um, Earnings Per Share, um, of, of 97 for net tangible assets and 98 for net for NEPs. If the share price is $1.18, it's basically being valued at the cost of the equipment that's on the books. So you're not paying much for the business side of things. It's almost entirely the value of the graders and the bulldozers and the dump trucks and things it has on the books. So um, that's, you know, that's another sign that it's probably right for, a takeover because you're not paying much for the business side of things, even though it's been restructured and should do well going forward. Um, that means, though, it is trading on a high PE of about 25 times, uh, and that's because um, the the share price is being supported by the net tangible assets um, and not by the operating side of the company. However, most people are calling out a lot of growth next year, and uh, the growth the, the metric we look at is uh, the growth over the PE ratio. Even, you know, even though the PE ratio is high, we're still scoring it at more than 1.5 times. So that that's telling me that we're getting growth in excess of 30%, um, maybe 35%, 40% is expected next year. Uh, and that makes sense because they've paid down lots of debt, which would take lots of cost out of the business, which means profit has to go up. Uh, IV2, which is our um, calculation of value based on the um, future expected earnings per share is at $2.30. So just under double the current share price, so it's not picking up an extra point in our score, but it's, that's still a, a pretty good expectation of where the share price might get to. Um, yeah, it's a prediction, so who knows. But based on where people think earnings per share will be next year, that's um, a pretty good, uh, pretty good rise in the share price. Uh, I think that's probably about all the QAV... Quality score for it is eight out, 8 out of 14 or 57%, so not overly high. And the QAV score overall is is 0.18. And just one mention about that quality score, the financial health and stock doctor is satisfactory. So it's actually gone down from strong to satisfactory with the latest results. Uh, so that's um, dropped a score out of our quality score. However, if you look at it on a long-term basis, say the last three or four years, it's actually come from a financial score of distress up to strong and then back to satisfactory with the latest results. So it's actually been improving over the the medium to, to longer term, which is a good thing. So, yeah, so um, interesting company. Do your own research. Take a look. Uh, I think my gut feel says that the sell-off after the results is overdone and outside chance that someone will lob a bid um, at the company at the moment.
0: Well, from your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> I was going to sell it. bought it last week. <laughs> <laughs> the day before the results, or the day the results came out, I bought it on the 18th. The same day the results. I did my analysis on the 17th. Bought it on the morning of the 18th, and the results came out. <laughs> um, <clears throat> is that? I mean, was 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 that a stupid thing to do? Should I have not bought it until the results came out?
1: It's a hard one. Um, yeah, if it was on the same day, you probably should have waited, but um, it's tough. I didn't I mean, know. I, I I mean,
0: that's, that doesn't yeah. show up in my checklist, what day are the results no, right. coming
1: out. Correct. So I tend to ignore it. I, I think statistically if the company was good before the results come out, it's probably going to be as good or, or better. Um, but there are cases where we've seen them go down. Like I've had some wins buying Suncorp before its results came out. And I've had some losses buying Bendigo Bank before its results come out. Um, I don't own Amico, but, you know, would it be a case of a negative here? But, yeah, it's, it swings in roundabouts.
0: Well, so I was going to sell it on Friday, then I thought I'd wait till I talk to you about it today. And yeah, I think you've talked me into holding on to it. It's still yeah, down well, 12% price. from it,
1: where I bought it. If it goes down another leg, I'd sell it, but I suspect it'll start to make its way back up. But that's just a guess. I'm not predicting. It's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, look, just just follow the share price. If it keeps going up, sure, good, happy days.
0: You're right. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, <clears throat> uh, Jbh fell off the scorecard.
1: Yes. Yeah, so their results came out, and uh, it's down the list now. Uh, what's what's Jbh? Um, a few and a few companies have done this. So. Uh, with their latest numbers, so JBH has dropped down to a QAV score of, let me just see, QAV score of 0.05, so it's gone down quite low. I bought them last week too. Yeah, but they. I think the, I don't think the share price is, um, has dropped back, has it? I don't think so. Not, not that I've noticed anyway. No, I think it's actually gone up a little bit. So, yeah, again... This will uh, this will be the case if we hold it until it becomes a three point sell or there's bad news or someone leaves or whatever. Yeah, right. It doesn't worry me that something drops off the buy list and drops down. It's I, I kind of um, in some ways I, I, well, I don't like it, but uh, I'm happy to have bought it when it made it onto the buy list because that was the only half where it you know had really strong operating cash flow right. to buy into it. Mm. Actually, That's happened with apparently. a couple of shares that we normally wouldn't see on the buy list um, uh, we are this time round I think QBE came and went like in a day um, again a company we, d- we wouldn't normally see on the buy list and it's sitting at about 0.09 now so it hasn't dropped too far down and if the price drops off a little bit it'll come back onto the buy list JBH has dropped off um, yeah there'll be a few other ones there too uh, we'll, I'll don't want to get ahead of myself, but ASX has jumped onto the buy list as well, which could be because of a, an abnormal reason, but that's another example of a company which I suspect may be on for, for six months only and then we'll, next time it you know delivers a result, it may not be there.
0: Mm. Okay. Um, now, you wanted to talk about uh, the struggles you're having giving advance notice of your trades.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. So it just became difficult during the company reporting season to let people have 24 hours' notice because the share price has moved quite a bit. Um, I think the example was Chorus, which jumped 15% on <laughs> the day I was going to buy it, and I waited 24 hours and you know um, bought it at a dearer price. So rather than give people that kind of notice, I think maybe what we should do is just to, um, when you send out your weekly email, list the stocks that we both own uh, so people know what our portfolios are, not necessarily what, how much we're holding in them, but what the stocks are. And, um, and then if we talk about a stock on the podcast uh, then, you know, we won't trade it for 24 hours after it goes out. Um, so you normally put the podcast out a couple of days later, don't you, after the recording? What's the timetable?
0: Yeah, normally the next day.
1: Next day, yeah, that's fine.
0: Right. So if we don't talk about it on the podcast, you can just trade. Is Correct. You'll you're just trade real time.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but we'll declare it in the email that goes out. We'll say, you know, this is the stocks I'm holding, this is the stocks you're holding. We'll probably just mix them all up so we don't necessarily attribute it to you or I, but these are the ones that we hold. Uh, people can work it out. I hold the large cap and you hold the small cap, but anyway.
0: No, not on my super fund. My super fund is limited to ASX 300, oh, so right. I had okay. to buy all big cap stocks. in Okay. That. Yeah. Mm. Okay. My other portfolio is a lot smaller, obviously. Um. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Sorry, we- that,
1: that policy is based on what other people do, like Stock Doctor. That's how they do it. Right, right.
0: Yeah, yeah. well, we don't want you to be penalised for doing the podcast. That's
1: not good. <laughs> yeah. Any well, more it's than you of already been are. In, it's, been, <laughs> it's been swings and roundabouts up until the reporting season, and this has been a very interesting reporting season with that big rotation out of... Resource stocks, in particular, I've probably turned over a vast majority of the portfolio. I haven't worked out how much, but a large part of it. So it's been it's been an active reporting season. Sometimes we just slide through, and I'll, I'll you know sell one stock and buy another one. Um, yeah. But this one, I've sold a lot, and not
0: really because it's reporting season, just because commodity prices mm. have been smacked around the head the last few. Correct. Months. Yeah, it's just coincidental that it happens to be happening in August, right?
1: Yeah, correct. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Speaking of commodities, copper. Uh, You decided that we should get out of copper finally uh, the other day.
1: Yeah, well, its underlying commodity, the physical copper graph, went through its sell line. So I think it was time to to take C6C in the dummy portfolio off the table and I sold my shares in Sandfire Resources, which is um, partly a copper miner as well.
0: Right. Uh, okay, talk to me about AMP.
1: <laughs> oh, well, there's a couple of stocks which are on the watch list. So AMP has scored well, but it's still in a, looks like a falling knife type trend. But eventually it'll, you know, bottom out and start to get uh, some support. And again, you know, the, I suspect there'll be people circling to break up the business and buy parts of it too, but uh, and, yeah, full declaration, my wife used to work there. She doesn't now, so I, I don't have any insights in particular about what will happen with the company. But um, at the moment, it's just turned up from the bottom, but we only have uh, we don't have enough points to look for a trend. But it's possible in the next you know, couple of weeks that we start to see a trend emerging in a stock like AMP, so that may well come onto the buy list. Um, uni, I always get this name wrong, Urw Unibail Redamco Westfield. is another one like that. The numbers look good, but the stock is still sliding, so that may well come onto the buy list at some stage in the next few months or a few weeks even, perhaps. And that's been depressed. The numbers have been good, and it's been depressed because the shopping centres have taken a hit with COVID as it goes through Europe. But if Europe comes out of uh, comes out of lockdown, which it seems to be doing, and there's and as people shopping and Moving around, then I expect UIW to to start getting support again. So that was another one. Um, what else was there
0: before you move on? Can we go back to AMP? Like um, I, I don't follow it that closely. I just see the headlines and the fin. Mm-hmm. Read the articles from time to time. But it sounds like it's in a huge mess um, as as a business. Uh, a lot of issues, not just the mm-hmm. Haynes Commission stuff, but sexual harassment issues, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. As an investment, though, you kind of just uh, ignore all of that kind of stuff again. Just you're just looking at the numbers and ignoring all of the noise about
1: it. Yes, definitely, just looking at the numbers, um, and they've you know up for the first time in a long time. They become good numbers in terms of our QAV checklist. Um, It just isn't. It's close to showing signs of an uptrend. so we can draw a sell line and a buy line. But at the moment, it's still a bit of a falling knife. Uh, but all those things you're talking about, I mean, the Hayne Commission was two years ago now, uh, so they've certainly cleared ship after that. Uh, the sexual harassment case is the same. They've cleared ship after that. So they have a new CEO. They're working through all those issues. Um, eventually, with these kinds of companies, they get a bit like Maya, they get so bombed out that they um, start to become good value and, and we're not the only people to see that. We just tend to see it first because we focus on the numbers and leave aside the stories. Um, but, yeah, I suspect uh, AMP, we will see some support for the stock and I wouldn't be surprised again if we see some merger and acquisition activity around it too going forward with the numbers it's sitting on. It's compelling value.
0: So in some ways businesses that are um, struggling culturally – uh, and you know, have a, have a taint about them, are good for us because you know we're waiting for them to be bombed out husks, and then we buy them and wait for somebody to renovate them and put new furniture in.
1: Classic Buffett strategy, especially yeah. as a value investor. Yeah. You just want me to tell me tell you the uh, the goat story, don't you? <laughs> yes.
0: Yes. Tell me the goat story. <laughs> you don't know it. Oh, I, I said, don't know. Uh, there's, a,
1: there's a book I read um, a little while ago, and I forget the title, but it was written by a British journalist who was accepted to Harvard MBA on a scholarship because um, Harvard makes places available to sort of non-traditional entrance into the MBA program, and he was a journalist. And, and it's a, I think it's a one-year or a two-year degree, and at the end of it, you're meant to present something that you've made or built while you've been at Harvard, right? So people generally present a business plan or they show how they've traded shares or whatever. So this guy writes a book on what it's like to go to Harvard and be an MBA student. Anyway, so there's the reason why I bought the book was there's one chapter on um, Warren Buffett because Buffett every year goes and does a half-day Q&A session with the undergrads at at Harvard. And uh, so the long story short, the journalist has... Gleaned from um, the lecture and Q and A by Buffett, and then doing some, you know, more studies on him as part of the curriculum, that the secret to investing is to find a good company and wait for the CEO to sleep with a goat, and then when the share price is <laughs> depressed, you buy it. <laughs> Uh, and of course, that's that's exactly what happened with you know, some of the stocks that Buffett bought. CEO with No, there was no goats involved. But um, the classic one is Amex back in the '60s, I think it was, where there was a, a taint around Amex because it got uh, tied up with an olive oil scandal. So there was uh, Amex was uh, someone had had a debt to Amex, and it was collateralized around their olive oil stock, and uh, this this person was a bit of a shifty operator. So he used to take the, uh, the Amex person around to dip dip the tanks. So in, like just like when I was working at Shell, you'd go around to a uh, service station or a distributor and you'd put a long pole into a tank and the pole would change colour at the level of the liquid and you'd know how much volume was in the tank by the by the amount of discoloration on the stick. So the same thing with olive oil. But this guy worked out if you put a tube in the olive oil tank and just put olive oil in the tube and dip the stick, <laughs> it makes the, the uninitiated uh, believe the tank's full of olive oil and it wasn't. And eventually the guy was caught out and Amex had a bad debt write-off and there was a huge scandal about it. But Buffett realised that people were still out there shopping with their Amex cards every day at restaurants and in shops. And uh, so he bought the stock when it was bombed out based on the um, the bad story. Right. Hmm.
0: Classic psychopath maneuver. Well, we have a guest on the show today, Lockie Duncan from stockmarketforteens.com. Lockie was introduced to us by one of our Brisbane, uh, well, Southeast Queensland, anyway, uh, uh, subscribers, Mark Dugmore, a friend of yours, Lockie? Uh, friend of a relative. Friend of a relative. Well, welcome to the yeah. show, Lockie, and happy birthday! I believe you're turning twenty today, and you've, instead of having a party and going out and getting drunk with your mates, you decided to come on this show and talk about
2: investing. That's right. Well, no better day to uh, talk about what you love, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, where where are you based, Lockie? Uh, in Melbourne. Right. So you're in week two of week two, is it, of lockdown down there or three? Uh, I've lost count at this point. <laughs> it's, all, it's all blurring together. Uh, yeah. That's how Tony feels. Tony's
1: in week yeah. know,
0: nine or 10 or something. Yeah.
1: We are. Yeah. Week nine.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's start with a quick bio, Lockie. Uh, we already know you're 20 and in Melbourne. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you What do you do for work? Are you
2: studying outside of running the website? Do you have other interests? Um, yeah. Well, I'm I'm in my second year of study at Melbourne Uni doing commerce. Right. Yeah. You know, I uh, I have a part time job working at McDonald's. <laughs> Not ideal, but uh, God, am I glad to have it at the moment during lockdown? Just, yeah, right. Um, oh, good for you. You know, for something to do.
0: Yeah, right. You still, they still uh, are open. McDonald's down there. You, you still.
2: Yeah, thankfully. Yeah.
0: Well, that's good. No, I think having a having a job uh, while you're studying's really smart. Gives you some money mm-hmm. and gives you some good experience. So let's talk about your interest in investing. Where and when it started, how it's developed, etc. How did and the website tell us a bit about why and how that got set up.
2: Yeah, so I um I got started in investing when I was like I was 15, right in the middle of high school, and I um I think it sort of started because I asked myself the question, you know, how how do I want to live, and more importantly, how can I actually live the way that I want, have the have the freedom of choice to to live that way, and um so I started looking at making money, and the stock market was the first place I turned. Did you have family that were active investors that prompted you or gave you
0: a bit of a you know, a
2: boost, a head start? No, not at all. I first um, stumbled across it on my own. I didn't have any help into it.
0: Right. And 100. how did you get
2: started? What was the first thing you did? Did you read a book? Did you watch a YouTube? How did you start to educate yourself? I think I think it was a YouTube video. You know, it was probably how to make money overnight or something. I clicked on it, and <laughs> the rest is history.
0: Yeah, it's make it, it's make a video on YouTube called "How to Make Money Overnight" and uh, get the advertising <laughs> revenue from it. That's how yeah. To do it.
1: Please, please don't tell me you're buying Bitcoin at fifteen.
2: No, I wasn't. No.
1: Hey, if he did, he probably would be too rich to
0: come on yeah, uh, the show and talk to us, right? would be such a bad thing. <laughs> it's gone up like twenty thousand percent in the last mm-hmm. five years. Yeah, yeah, good point.
1: Okay. <laughs> what do your friends think? What did your friends think about that, Lockie?
2: Yeah. So at the time. No one seemed to know much about it at all, and I um I talked to them and they had all these sort of worries about it, you know, saying like, don't you need money to do that? And like they were just thinking about the money they could lose and how they didn't think they were good enough at um making a living out of it at all. So
1: did you turn up to school with a peak cap and a briefcase and <laughs> pull out the thing review at lunchtime? And
2: <laughs> oh, not quite. I um no. I don't know. I didn't um didn't talk to too many people about it. To be honest, I sort of kept it to myself a bit while I was fresh at it, but yeah.
1: What gave you the confidence to start?
2: I sort of just viewed it as something I had to do eventually. Like I um, thought that I want to have the freedom of choice to do whatever I want and I have to eventually take that take that leap. And so I just you know, just did it.
0: And where did you get the money to invest at first? Is it uh, pocket money,
2: birthday money, job money? Yeah, Yeah, a little bit of pocket money when I first started, you know, from birthdays. Sort of in my savings account, and yeah, when I I tried to get a part-time job as soon as I could and build that up over time.
0: Well, you're a you're a, you're a young Warren Buffett. That's what Buffett did. Ooh. He started. That, I hope so. He started
1: like ten, I think, didn't he? Tony, something like that. Yeah. Well, he started delivering newspapers when he was ten. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then working out how to leverage that by befriending the air hostesses in the apartment buildings who he would drop the papers off and they would take them up and down the stairs for him.
0: So uh, let's talk about the website then, Lockie. When did you start that? What's the vision behind it? Uh, how's it going, etc.
2: Yeah, so um, when I was talking to my classmate classmates about the market, then they had all these misconceptions about losing money and needing to have a PhD or whatever, I... Um, it sort of sort of got to me, and I wanted to I wanted to sort of help somehow, and you know really use my knowledge for good. I think, and um, yeah, so I decided to create this website where I really just outlay everything that I knew, and it mm. um it also pushed me to learn more and to sharpen up my skills and my knowledge. So mm. it was really good for uh, for me as well.
0: I think that's the best thing about publishing anything online or in a book or in a film, is it really makes you have to. You know, try and get your shit straight, you know, you have to yeah. know what you're talking about, yeah.
1: That's a big step. I mean, you were new to investing, you were doing it yourself and you decided to publish about it. That was um, what made you take that step.
2: Yeah, so, and um, the, the pace that I learned just because I had to put my knowledge out there was so much greater than, you know, it would have been otherwise.
0: And so tell us a little bit about your, your own approach to investing. Um, what methodology do you put into practice when you're thinking about buying something?
2: Yeah, so I um, created my own strategy. I used, a, I used an analogy that I think would resonate with teenagers and that's of a, a road trip. So I imagine you're going out into the stock market, you're setting out on a, on a road trip and there are um, various things that you need for a road trip and so I, I sort of split up the stock market into three different areas, and I think that any good strategy will have aspects of these three areas. So yeah, the first first thing for your road trip is you want you want a car, and I imagine this is the the company that you're investing in, it's the the vehicle that's going to take you from from A to B, and you want to um, you want to have a good car to drive in. You know, you want to first of all, you want to make sure that it can actually actually get you there and so i look at the the growth of the company you know is it is it actually expanding or is it declining and then i look at well you want to you want to be safe while you're on this road trip so how's the how's the financial position of the company you know in terms of the balance sheet and the debt and equity and all that and um, yeah, the other thing is when you're going out on this road trip, you want to get the most bang for your buck in terms of the car that's taking you there. You know, like ideally you're going out in a Lamborghini or a Ferrari or whatever, but it's not always uh, feasible. You want to you want to buy these companies at a reasonable price, and um, you know that's uh, that's what makes the road trip worthwhile. Good analogy. And, um, yeah. So the second aspect is I call the the driver, which is I equate to sort of the the technical side of the the stock, in terms of the, the bulls and the bears and who's in control. You want to you want to be with the trend in the stock, and I um I outline ways that you can analyze the strength of this trend and how you can find turning points where you want to um get into the stock. And um, the final uh final aspect is the the road that you're traveling on, sort of um uh, and I equate that to the the general market like the overall macro economy and investor sentiment on a, on a large scale. And I think, you know, that's quite, people overlook that aspect. And it is very important because the majority of stocks follow the general market and everything can be looking good in terms of your car and your, your driver. But if the if investor sentiment is, um, is poor, then you, you can get burnt by these stocks if you're investing at the wrong time. So mm. yeah, it's absolutely important to consider all three aspects.
1: Mm. And so, what kind of investor would you say you are? Is it is it a mixture, or are you value? Are you growth? What what style do you like?
2: Um, I lean towards the the value side, but you know I do consider growth um, as a major part of the stocks I'm investing in because any value in a stock comes from its ability to produce cash flows into the future and you want those cash flows to not only be um, constant over time but actually increasing. And the greater the increase in cash flows, the more value you can get from your stock.
1: Mm-hmm. And has the journey gone well for you? Do, you? do you publish your returns at all?
2: No, I'm not actually quite sure. I've never measured my exact returns, but I'd say anywhere from 15 to 20%. But that's, um, you know, I'm still quite quite fresh to the market and in the last five years think about the the return of the market in general i haven't really experienced a huge um bear market lasting longer than a few months so yeah i haven't really had all the ups and downs that you guys have been through I sold these. yeah that's
1: <laughs> yeah, well, terrific so uh are you finding with the website you've created that people are contacting you and, and asking questions and wanting to invest with you or invest like you
2: yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's really good to hear that. Um, like, it's actually inspired a lot of young people to invest in the market for the first time. You know, it's got a lot of positive feedback, and people. You know, I'm really glad that I can actually help people out to get them to make that first step on their investing journey. Oh, it's really good.
1: And of course, this the snowball effect will
2: um, will be mm. even
1: better for you starting at
2: 15. Yeah, that's, that's right. The sooner you start, the greater the the snowballs are going to be in the end. Yeah. That's
0: brilliant. What what have you um, deduced from this experience over the last few years, Lockie, about the way that millennials tend to think about investing? I've I've got a couple of sons that are twenty. Uh, one of them is uh, is an active investor, and uh, I know that you know he's very serious about investing um, over the next. Twenty years in order to set himself up. But I, I get the sense just from, you know, what they tell me about their friends and and uh, their cohort in general, what you see in the media, that millennials are mostly into Bitcoin and high growth stocks and uh, a lot of sort of what we would say high risk, high reward type investment strategies. Mm. Um but your finger's probably more on the pulse what What do you think millennials are looking for when it comes to investing?
2: No I think you're um you're absolutely right and um I think young people the first time they hear about the market is through social media and these um these claims of people you know making however much money in in a few days' time and um sort of being lured in by these extremely speculative high risk high reward situations and it's um it's pretty terrible advice unfortunately, the the stuff they're being exposed to. And um they don't really get to hear the other side of it, you know, like um, how you know, um you wanna be compounding over time and really sort of gradually building up your your wealth. I think if um you know, if they are hearing that it's from their their grandparents or something. And they they think, um, (laughs) you know, what are you talking about? These people on social media are making hundreds of dollars a day just, you know, in cryptocurrency or these gross stocks. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Either from their grandparents or from people who are old enough to be their grandparents like us. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Well, good on you for trying to educate them in a different way. Like, I guess that's the challenge, is that uh, they think that uh, slow and steady is uh, antiquated and boring. Uh, They want to Mm -hmm, get rich quick, as every generation does. Every generation wants to get rich quick. I think it's only by the time that you get to our age that you realize. Well, <laughs> Tony worked it out a lot sooner than I did, but <laughs> you, you get to fifty and you go, "Oh, okay." <laughs> you've seen you've seen the get rich quick schemes fail mm. enough times in the in your lifetime that you realize that it never works. Yeah. It doesn't work for mo- most people anyway. It works for a very small percentage of people that get away with it, but it's luck more than anything else.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or well, they're right. pumping it and then dumping it.
0: So I think, you know, having, uh, having a good good sort of long-term strategy when you're young and being able to stick to it and and having the wisdom to not get sucked into get-rich-quick schemes and pump-and-dumps and just stick to a strategy um, yeah. is great. I did an interview, uh, we did an interview with an old mate of mine on this show earlier on. His name's Steve Samatino. If, uh, you should check out that e- uh, episode and have a listen because he started investing seriously when he was – it was mostly in ETFs, but he started doing it when he was in his, uh, I think, early 20s and yeah. just stuck to it. And by the time he was in his mid-30s, he, you know, had built up enough of a portfolio that he could retire from his corporate job and just go and do the things that he really wanted to do, so – those stories are out there of people that just got into it early, took it seriously, he threw everything he had into it, and just let the compounding uh, take him there over the next ten or twelve years or whatever it was. Yeah. So they're they're inspiring uh, and slightly depressing stories. If you're if you don't do that <laughs> it's depressing. You go, Oh shit, why didn't somebody tell me to do that when I was twenty? But you're out there doing yeah.
1: it, so good on you. Yeah, Who are your heroes, you. Lockie? Who do you look up to for um, mentorship
2: or advice? Oh, um, that's a good question. Yeah, I um, one of my favourites is um, Peter Lynch. I think he he wrote a book called One Up on Wall Street. I'm sure you you've heard of it. Mm-hmm. And um, in his book, he um, he sort of talked about the advantage that you and I will have over over sort of Wall Street wall street pros and um that's you know we use sort of our inside knowledge of of these companies and when we see companies out on the street you know in the supermarket you know at the at, at your department stores you notice which products are taking off and um which ones are really popular and for for, uh, for teenagers they tend to be on top of on top of what's what's trendy and fashionable and that really gives us an advantage over everyone else
1: yeah, it's a good point. Like I always think about buying shares in a company when I first start using their product and I hadn't come across it before. Mm. But it happens to us oldies too. I started drinking Lark Scotch, but uh, I think I missed the boat. I didn't buy the shares early enough, but uh, check out the graph on on Lark uh, whiskey at some stage.
0: Mm. All right, good stuff, Lockie. Well, uh, everyone out there, I know like our audience uh, tends to be older, but they've probably got kids or grandkids mm. your age. So we'd urge everyone to, who has uh, teenagers uh, to send them a link to stockmarketforteens.com. It probably speaks their language
1: more than we do on this show. And so, uh, yeah. So before you go, we, um, we often get asked by parents how do they motivate their kids to get taken interest in the stock market? Uh, what, what would be your advice to those parents?
2: Mm. Um, I think, well, the, um, the thing for me that motivates me is that freedom of choice and um, I think sort of the, the, the value of money and having it, having it work for you in terms of passive income and I think if you can get your kids to understand the power of this compound interest and in generating uh, passive income where you don't have to work, it's really powerful
1: how do you do that? Is that reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Is it, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, you know? I
2: did um, read that. But yeah, it's really a lot of books sort of sparked my passion for it, seeing how, how the pros did it and how it was something that actually worked when you yeah. uh, stick to it.
1: And what about the mechanics of it? Like how would you tell one of your younger friends to start investing? How do they, you know, What sort of platform do they go on? What kind of broker do they use? How how small can you start with? What's your advice there?
2: Unfortunately, teenagers can't actually directly invest in the stock market. You have to be um, you have to be eighteen or over. But what you can do is create what's called a custodial account. So I believe I believe it's under the, the parent or guardian's name, but the um, the teenager is the beneficiary. Once the teenager does turn eighteen, the account transfers into their name so the parent has to make all the decisions in that account and provide the funds it can't be can't be the teenager but there's nothing to say how involved the teenager can be in that process you know if you have a good relationship with your your parent then you know you can you can be collaborating on the process deciding which stocks to invest in together which approach you want to take and i think that's um that's a really good idea
1: I think one of the big things I've noticed in my investing career is that when I first started out pre-internet, you know, I started with a stockbroker who was a um, friend of a friend and became a friend. And, uh, you know, you'd ask him the question, how much money do you need to start with? And he would say about $80,000, wow. you know, to cover the costs and, you know, diversification and all that kind of stuff. And back then, if you were investing in the share market, it would cost... You know, sort of 1.2% for a yeah. trade. So, um, and you had lots of other costs you had to incur. Uh, anyway, the thing I've learned over the years is that with um, stockbroking being disintermediated by the internet, and now just in the last couple of years with the advent of El Toros and Net Wealth and South Wealth and all those kinds of things and Robin Hood and the States and Superhero here, that's become a the the amount you need to start off in the market has become quite small and I think that's the message that needs to get, to get out get out to teenagers. Yeah. How, how how small do you think you can go uh, to to still be to make it worthwhile to start?
2: Mm, yeah, well um you have to find the right broker. So depending on who you're with, you can be charged um twenty dollars commission on your on your trades, which is when you have little funds to begin with, that really eats into your return. So you have to consider that, you know. But I think I think you can start with a thousand dollars and find a broker that doesn't have enormous commissions, and that will um will be able to build that up significantly over time.
1: Thousand bucks, say So that's the that's the threshold to all the kids out there.
2: Yeah, nice round number.
1: Get a thousand bucks together, go to your platform, and start investing as soon as you can
0: maybe learn a few things first and then start investing.
2: That's right, yeah. The way I like to think about it is that your teenage years are the best years for you to um, get that experience and actually learn because I imagine um, when you're a, a teenager and you you lose, say, like 20% um, of your money, as a teenager, you know, a few hundred dollars, it's not too big of a deal. Yeah. Um, you can earn that back by working for a few hours, but when you're... 40 or older um, and you lose 20% of your net worth, that's quite significant and, you know, you, you'd be saying to yourself, I wish I made these mistakes earlier.
0: Hmm. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. Yeah, good advice. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on and chatting, Lockie. Congratulations on the site. Well done. And, uh, yeah, we urge everyone with teenagers or young adults uh, out there to send them to stockmarketforteens.com and uh, get them on the right track. Good on you, mate. And uh, what are you going to do for the rest of the night? How how are you celebrating your birthday tonight? (laughs) Watching watching Warren Buffett's last AGM for three hours? That's what Tony does every (laughs) year on his birthday. uh, I don't know about
2: that.
1: Uh, I just saw they released, I think, another nine hours of uh, film that didn't make it into the Becoming Warren Buffett documentary on YouTube if you want to watch that.
0: Oh, there you go. There's no better way to
1: spend your birthday.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, there aren't many options these days in in Melbourne.
0: (laughs) No, that's true. No. Yeah. Well, stay safe, Lockie. Enjoy the rest of your day,
2: mate. Happy birthday. Thank you, and thank you for having me. Well done. Well done, mate. Good luck.
0: Well, that's the end of the free episode for this week. For the brand new folks, I want you to know that each week we have a free episode and a premium episode. Free episode runs about half an hour. Premium episode usually runs for an extra half hour to an hour, depending on how many questions we have from our audience that week, because we spend a lot of that time answering questions. Uh, If you want to check out the premium episodes, you can go up to our website, qavpodcast.com.au, and sign up for the two-week free trial. You get to have a look at the uh, premium episodes, you get to have a look at the checklist, the getting started guide, all of the video content that we have. Uh, You get invited to our VIP dinners and our VIP Zoom calls for club members. You get to ask Tony questions that we can answer. You get to get invited to our uh, Facebook group, our private Facebook group, etc., etc. So, And also uh, we get a, a private uh, club member newsletter each week we send out as well with some stuff in it so check that out qavpodcast.com.au but as I said if you're brand new and you want to you're trying to figure out what's going on go back and listen to season 3 episodes 1 3 and 5 301 303 and 305 and then you might also want to go back and listen to season 1 as well all of the free episodes in season 1 where we go into a lot of detail about Tony's system and methodology and figure out if this is right for you. If it's something that you want to go further with, if you want to learn how to invest like Tony does, then you can check out the uh, QAV Club. Uh, The other thing I always have to say is we're not financial advisors, so don't take anything you hear on this as financial advice. This is just here to teach how one guy invests and thinks about investing. If you need financial advice or tax advice, please go see a financial advisor or a tax advisor. Uh, With that, stay safe, good luck with your investing, and we'll be back next week.